Hello, hello, and welcome to The Art of Being You with me, Rachel Wortman. You guys, this podcast is all about learning to be who God created you to be, embracing that person, and ultimately living your best life with Jesus. We've got a lot of great content today, so let's get to it in The Art of Being You. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Welcome to The Art of Being You. I am so excited for today's episode. If you listened last week as we wrapped up our Kingdom Finance series, I shared with you guys that today we're doing something special, a little unexpected, and the day is finally here. So what is that you might be asking? I'm glad you asked. Today, you are going to get a sneak peek of my brand new book, Goodness Culture, Recovering the Essence of Eden. This sneak peek is exclusive for you guys, my podcast listeners, and I'm so excited for you to get to see and and what really to hear a chapter of my brand new book. So I have a reading from chapter seven for you. This is the entire chapter on this podcast available free for you to get a feel for what the book is really about. The book Goodness Culture is actually 13 chapters long. This one is nestled cozy right in the middle of the book, but don't worry, it's not going to give any major spoilers away or anything like that. So today's episode is going to be a little bit different. The time length will be a little bit different as well. But you know, I felt like this would be a perfect little cherry on top to our series on kingdom finances that we've been exploring over the last couple of weeks. And that's why we're doing chapter seven, which is called Lacking Lack. Okay, so a couple of other quick housekeeping things before I get into the reading of this chapter. Number one, If you have not signed up for my emails, I really want to encourage you to do that. You can do that on my website, rachelwortman.com. You can DM me your um, email address on social media if you'd rather do it that way. So essentially what I'm doing is because of the algorithms of the social world, it's really hard for the content that content creators put out to get to your eyeballs even when you like and follow our pages. That's where the email comes in. I'm a huge advocate of less email in my life. So even doing this is a big, you know, um, challenge for me personally, which is why I'm committed to only sending about two emails a month. If you've been on my email list so far, you know, I very rarely send an email unless I have something I think you might want to hear. What that looks like is you're going to get deep thoughts, spiritual development ideas and journaling prompts and uh, really discipleship thoughts into your inbox. It's essentially a grander version of what I would put on my social media, but you're going to absolutely get it from me without having to worry about the social algorithms getting in the way. If that sounds like something that you're interested in, do me a favor, go to www.rachel. W-O-R-T-M-A-N.com. And right there on the homepage under the book order uh, picture, there is a place where you can sign up for the newsletter. If you have not already subscribed and liked this podcast, of course, that would be amazing for you to do. And also, if you like what you're hearing today, do me a favor and go ahead and buy the book. It's a great book. I'm really excited for you guys to get your hands on it and get to see uh, what it actually says. So I think that's enough intro. Uh, Let's dive into today's episode, which is a reading from my brand new book, Goodness Culture, Recovering the Essence of Eden. Chapter 7, Lacking Lack. As you have read the pages of this book, you have journeyed with me through an examination of some of the struggles in the body of Christ. Before we could turn our attention to the solutions, it was important to understand the problems. A hyperfixation on sin, shame, 
the allure of the flesh, and the spirit of religion are the foundational attributes of cultures built on something other than the grace of God. What is the alternative? Is it possible to rid ourselves of these issues? I believe so. I believe we can reject these devious qualities and embrace the work of God's grace in our midst. I believe that when we do that, there will be three distinct practical core values that emerge. Freedom, joy, and abundance will always be present when our cultures are built upon God's goodness. In the coming chapters, we are going to examine these three attributes and explore ways we can create environments that allow them to emerge and thrive. When I was a teenager, I fell in love with the musical Les Miserables. If you're a fan of musicals, you likely have a soft spot for Victor Hugo's French Rebels as well. I have seen Les Mis on stage at least five times, and I will absolutely be seeing it again. I have watched all the movies and TV adaptations that have been made, and, well, you get the picture that I am a diehard fan. My favorite character was always Eponine. She is the daughter of terrible and abusive people. She grows up to become the best friend of the love of her life, Marius. Unfortunately, he only has eyes for Cosette, the adopted daughter of a rich businessman. The juxtaposition of these two young girls' lives is part of the beauty of the story. Both were abused by Eponine's parents, yet only Cosette goes on to have a great life. One of my favorite parts of the musical is when, in a stroke of Broadway genius, Eponine breaks out into the infamous song, On My Own. She sings alone in a street alley, imagining a world that was kind and generous to her. She sings as she fantasizes that Marius would whisk her away and they could have a good life together. Then, in a moment of cruel clarity, she snaps back to reality, knowing her dream of a good life is nothing more than a fantasy. In agony, she belts out, and I know it's only in my mind. Chills, guys. Literal chills. As a teenager, I would listen to this song on repeat on my Discman anti-skip CD player. I resonated so deeply with this song. I felt this song was my song. I was Eponine. I was all on my own, figuratively speaking. Eventually, I grew up, found my Marius, married him, and did not die of a gunshot wound in a French alley on a wooden barricade, obviously. Two years ago, we took my oldest son to see Les Mis at the theater. This time, all these years later, I saw these two women so differently. This time, I saw two women with similar paths, but very different futures. Both women came from hardship, but only one woman continued to choose hardship. This time, as I watched the story unfold, anticipating every coming word of song, I realized I am not Eponine. In fact, I never was. I have always had much more in common with Cosette, but I did not see myself in the light of the goodness of God. How many of us are silently mouthing the words on my own to ourselves in the privacy of our thoughts? How many of the sons and daughters of God see themselves as left out, cast aside, and left behind? How many people cannot see what God has brought them out of because they only see what they still don't have? Are you one of these people? The truth is, the only thing we lack in the kingdom of God is lack itself. The dictionary defines lack as the state of being without or not having enough of something. In the biblical sense, lack is both the state of something missing and a mindset in and of itself. Take a moment to read the following Bible verses that make mention of the word lack. 
These verses demonstrate how God feels about his children lacking what they need in this life. Deuteronomy 2, 7, Proverbs 28, verse 27, Psalm 34, verse 9, Psalm 23, verse 1, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 12, 2 Corinthians 8, 15. Each of these verses speaks to the promises of God. These verses promise that those who are following him, fear him, and obey him will have no lack. When the Bible says to fear God, it is not saying we should be afraid of him. We are to fear him as a form of understanding who he is. He will always be the most high God. We will always be a strange combination of his humble servants and his chosen children. The thing is, the people of God have always been destined to walk in abundance. I would go so far as saying that a component of our identity in Christ is having an abundance mentality. When you are in Christ, you're not lacking anything because you have the opposite of lack within you. Lack, therefore, is an illusion. It's important to note that the abundance of God is always tied to having a good relationship with God. Jesus did not die on the cross so we could have a nice house and a fancy wardrobe. If we're not careful, our perspective of God's abundance can become distorted. We might assume God could not possibly want us to have lack and therefore he must want us to have much. The irony in this is that this belief system is from someone who does not accurately fear the Lord. They don't understand who he is, consequently assuming God exists to serve their needs, not the other way around. I'm not preaching prosperity gospel here. The nature of the distorted prosperity gospel is that you can control the flow of God's abundance into your life by what you do. At the heart of the prosperity gospel is control and manipulation for your own personal gain. It has little to do with how the abundance of God wants to flow through you to reach the people around you. Goodness cultures do not promote prosperity doctrine as you may understand it. However, the nature of God is abundance in all things. He is abundance personified. When God is at work in your life, abundance will be at work as well. You cannot escape the abundance of God if you are genuinely pursuing him. You must actively resist his abundance if you don't want to experience it. We resist the abundance of God when we refuse to believe who he is. If I refuse to come into agreement with the truth that God is generous, I will cut myself off from his generosity. My beliefs and refusals do not change who he is. They change what I allow myself to receive from him. The truth is, the abundance of God is not about us. It is entirely about who God is. Abundance is not something God has. It is who God is. Show me someone who has constant lack in their life, and I will show you someone who is resisting God's provision, even if unintentionally. That might be harsh, but it is the truth. The work of God in someone's life will always produce more than enough. The only exception is when that person refuses to allow God to work thoroughly in their life. One of the primary ways we resist God's abundance is through our disobedience. When God prompts you to do something, he is setting you up to receive from him. If you choose not to follow through, you will miss all that he has planned. God is not obligated to tell you what's on the other side of your obedience. His abundance flows most freely through those who regularly trust him. Like Eponine, some of us are so bent on staying focused on what we don't have that we cannot allow ourselves to grow beyond our own lack. 
These are those who love lack. They find comfort in what they don't have. They comfort themselves by fantasizing of a kind and generous life in their mind, all while refusing to enter into that very life God already invited them into through the cross. They regularly count themselves out as if God could never dream of blessing them. Let me be clear. Most of the time, the abundant flow of God is not monetary. I'm not trying to suggest that the abundance of God will always result in more money in your bank account. I do believe God intends for his children to have more than enough, but that will be in direct relation to the assignment and calling on your life. He will provide what you need for the calling he has given you, which will look different from person to person. We would be foolish to ignore the role money plays in our lives. We may not all be banking six figures a year, but God has invited all of us to see the connection between our finances and our faith. Money is a tool God uses to reveal the deeper things within us. Matthew 6 verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This statement is true because Jesus made it true. God has connected your heart to money to a degree so that money could become a litmus test for you. What do you dream about doing with more money? How do you envision yourself spending it? What would you do if you could spend it right now? The answer to those questions gives a revealing look at the state of your heart. The sad reality is that so many Christians do lack so many things. They lack the power of God to break the yokes and strongholds in their lives. They lack the joy of the Lord. They lack peace, especially the peace that surpasses the understanding of why things happen the way they do. The lack list is quite long in the body of Christ, and it encompasses so much more than money. Jesus handled lack in the people around him by becoming abundance for them. Often, when he would minister, every single person would be healed. When he would preach, every heart would be engaged. When he worked miracles, there was excess left over. There is not a moment of Jesus's ministry where he rationed himself as if there would not be enough of him to meet the needs of his people. You and I are invited to live in this same kind of abundance. We are invited into this kind of generosity. This is what a culture of God's goodness is like. How do I know this? Look at what the Holy Spirit did in Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47. On the heels of the Pentecost Holy Spirit explosion, God was hard at work establishing his people under the new covenant. How did he choose to do this? Through abundance. Listen to what the Bible says. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common— and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. This is a picture of God at work. This is a picture of a God who is abundance itself. The people were so consumed with the Holy Spirit, they felt no personal need. This was so real to them, they willingly sold what they had to provide for others. They opened their homes daily, shared their food, their time, and their hearts. You don't do that when you live in lack. 
When you live in lack, you worry that what little you have will run out. Lack leads to hoarding. Hoarding feels like the right thing to do when you have lack because you don't know if you will have enough for tomorrow or next week. Therein lies the exact reason why lack is offensive to God. Lack is the opposite of trusting in a God who is abundance itself. God does not provide in the same way every time we have a need. Maybe that's why the people of God struggle to trust him. If we are to live in the abundant provision of God, we must become flexible children who depend on their father. God will always provide. That is his concrete promise. However, he does not promise to provide in the same way in every situation. Consider Elijah with the widow of Zarephath in 1 Kings chapter 17. After Elijah had just prophesied a drought to King Ahab, God led Elijah to a place where he received provision from God. Birds brought him food, and there was a stream he could drink from. What happened in this story provides us with keen insight into God's nature as a provider. Read with me. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called out, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. Then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord said, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word the Lord had spoken by Elijah. 1 Kings 17 verses 7 through 16. Imagine the frustration Elijah might have felt when the drought God told him to prophesy ended up thwarting his own resource. Did Elijah complain, panic, or curse God for not being a good provider? Did he look up into the sky and shout, where are you, God? No, he sought God and God directed him to where the next portion of his provision would come from. I do not believe Elijah ever questioned if God would provide for him. He knew God would provide he just didn't know how. I'll admit, this story is a little out there. This woman that God directed Elijah to was not a suburban housewife. In today's society, she would be like a homeless woman. A widow in this time period was basically homeless and helpless. This particular woman was actually getting ready to die by starvation. Everything she owned amounted to a handful of flour, and that was barely enough to make a loaf of bread. She was going to make a little dinner roll, eat it, and then wait to die. But God had other plans. God wanted to raise her up out of her destitution and fashion her into a provider for Elijah. The God of abundance planned to use the epitome of lack to supply food for his anointed prophet. 
Elijah, with some serious audacity, said to this woman, okay, I'm paraphrasing here. Well, before you make it, can you make me one? She was starving to her death and Elijah was asking for her last meal. Such an interesting story that paints Elijah in a pretty unflattering light. However, Elijah knew something about God that she did not yet know. Elijah knew God wanted to bless this poor woman. If this woman would allow God to work through her, God could turn her whole world upside down. If this woman would reject the allure of lack and shut down her propensity to hoard what little she had, God could show up. Elijah knew if God showed up, abundance would be showing up as well. And that is exactly what happened. We all have a choice to make. Will we continue to allow lack to push us out of God's presence? Or will we challenge ourselves to trust him with what little we have? You may not have enough peace to make it through your day. You may have so much anxiety it seems foolish to even hope for 10 minutes of peace today. But what could God do with those 10 minutes? What if those 10 minutes were your handful of flour? A handful of flour is enough for a lifetime of bread in the hands of God. Breakthrough comes when we stop resisting God out of fear of what he might not do. We cannot presume to know what kind of provision God will provide. We must simply trust he has the provision we need. Jesus is the God of more than enough. In Genesis 17 verse 1, God appeared to Abraham and revealed himself as El Shaddai. El Shaddai is literally translated as more than enough. This is who God is. He is more than enough for whatever you need. He will bring more than enough into your life if you let him. In a goodness culture, people understand the abundance of God. They live out his abundant nature through their overflowing joy, peace, freedom, and passion for Jesus. They know how to reject lack. We must learn to do this. This is our inheritance as the people of God. Abundance is our inheritance. Encountering and regularly experiencing God's abundance through our relationship with him must become commonplace. Several years ago, I had a bizarre experience with God that I will never forget. At this point in my journey, I had seen El Shaddai do many things in my life, yet I still regularly saw lack in my life as well. I didn't know how to reject lack to the point of removing it altogether. I guess I thought it would always be a part of how I saw the world. One night, when my husband was being ordained for pastoral ministry, I came face to face with El Shaddai in a way that finally broke me out of my addiction to wallowing in lack. As the ministers prayed for God's anointing to fall on us, I immediately went into a vision. Then the pastor praying for me began to narrate the vision I was having. It was as if he were seeing the same things God was showing me. I later asked him if he was aware of what happened, and he said no. He was simply speaking out what God put in his heart to say. He had no idea God was showing me the same things moments before he would say them. Wow. In the vision, I was brought into a banquet hall that had a very long table. The table was set up for an elaborately fancy meal with beautiful tablecloths, decorations, and florals sprinkled throughout layers upon layers of food. It was the very picture of abundance. As I looked around, I saw many people approaching the table. I saw myself scanning the food selection hesitantly, even though I really wanted to just start stuffing my face with everything I saw. I grabbed a little salad-sized plate and plotted how many trips to this buffet it would take to satisfy my now-raging appetite. 
I didn't want to appear undignified as I sampled a little bit of everything. I am a lady after all. At this moment of the vision, the pastor across from me declared, reach out and take it, says the Lord. It stunned me. The next thing I know, I was timidly taking a few pieces of food off one of the tiered trays in the vision. Take more, says the Lord, he said again. As I filled the plate in my vision, I noticed nothing from the table had been depleted. How is this possible? I thought to myself. Take all that you want. This is for you, the pastor continued. In the vision, I threw caution and decency to the wind. I reached out my hands and scooped a giant amount of food towards myself. In front of me was an enormous pile of delicious treats and snacks because, you know, I have really long arms. I expected the buffet to be a mess. I had such a large amount of food, there was no way it would look as beautiful. To my utter shock, when I saw the table again, it was just as beautiful as it was before my ravaging arms aggressively went at it. How could this be? Why was nothing depleted? It was in this moment I realized this was abundance itself. This food was a picture of God who cannot be diminished no matter how much he gives us. He offers himself freely and without limit. I began to weep in real life. In the vision, I continued to reach my arms out and scoop huge amounts of food with no visible impact made to the buffet. As this unfolded, the pastor said, God is more than enough for you. Don't just take what you need, take what you want. Take him, take all of him. I crumbled to the floor, broken over my past inability to understand the true abundance of God. I was undone by his grace and generosity. He will never be depleted, no matter how much I need or want of him. The vision continued as I scooped food towards myself, this time trying to stuff it into a purse I suddenly had with me. I had this incredible urgency to share this amazing food with everyone I know. I thought of all the people who would love to eat these foods as I stuffed handfuls into my purse. A laundry chute hatch door appeared in front of me. I flung it open and scooped food into the chute as fast as I could. To my amazement, still, nothing was depleted from the table. Like a crazed shopper on an all-expense-paid trip to Target, I scooped up everything I could get my hands on. The food dropped down through the chute and reached people down below me. These people were grabbing it and eating it. It was making them so happy. This encounter with God changed me forever. As the days and weeks went by, I would picture myself at the table of El Shaddai any time I felt lack. When I felt confused about where the provision of God would come from, I would go back to the table. When the compulsion to hoard what little I had rose up within me, I would make the choice to give it away. It didn't take long for abundance to break out all over me. I literally cannot think of one area in my life the God of abundance has not revitalized. Not because I've sought his abundance for the sake of having more, but because I sought Jesus who is abundance himself. When goodness cultures engage with Jesus, they step into abundance. The kingdom of heaven is not a zero-sum economy. You cannot deplete God, no matter how much you receive from him. God does not have a finite amount of resources. If he did he would have to micromanage how they're spent. God has infinite resources and unlimited availability. We step into abundance when we make the choice to stop focusing on what we do not have and start focusing on what we do have. God may not be doing what you want him to be doing, but he is doing something. The next time you feel you are lacking something, take a moment to ask God to show you where his abundance is. 
Are you actively resisting his abundance by not following through on something he has asked you to do? God is not obligated to provide alternative solutions when you choose to reject his answer to your prayer. What would have happened to Elijah had he decided not to talk to the widow? Stepping into God's abundance is the same faith step as stepping into his presence. It may take practice, but he will show you how to receive his abundance mentality. When you have his abundance mentality, you will be able to honestly say, the only thing I lack in Christ Jesus is lack itself. That concludes the reading of chapter seven of my brand new book, Goodness Culture. The book is currently available on my website, www.rachelwartman.com. If you liked what you heard today, I'd love for you to jump over there to the site and buy a copy for yourself or maybe even one or two for a friend. You can also sign up for my newsletter there as well, where we send similar content to this directly to your inbox. Until next time, be blessed. So you've just listened to The Art of Being You with Rachel Wortman. I hope you enjoyed this episode of my podcast. And listen, it would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and rate or review this podcast on wherever you're listening from. Also, share it with a friend. Help me get the word out. Until next time, be blessed.